Lois Bromelican and Dennis Melican resigned from the Rhode Island chapter of the American Chestnut Foundation. They were protesting the organization's support of a plan by State University of New York to propagate a genetically engineered chestnut tree. The Melicans were instrumental in the American Chestnut Foundation's breeding program, working to restore the chestnut using natural methods. They see the American chestnut as a Trojan horse, being used to promote genetic engineering for corporate interests. SUNY researchers are seeking deregulated status from the USDA for the GE American chestnut. If approved, this would allow the release of genetically engineered trees into the wild for the first time. Lois was the chapter's president. Um, we're Lois Bromelican and Dennis Melican, and we both have decades of experience in public parks management with a focus on trail construction and historic landscape preservation. Uh, we're also longtime members of the American Rhododendron Society. So how did you get involved in chestnut restoration? Well, you know, we were always aware of the chestnut sprouts in the woods, you know, constantly dying back and then re-sprouting. Um, and we assumed, but we assumed like everyone else, that chestnut trees were a species that was just gone and not coming back. Um, then in 2002, we had a chance encounter, a chance conversation at the end of a hiking program with a visitor who told us about the American Chestnut Foundation. And we knew right away this was a great and noble, you know, cause, and we immediately decided to join. So soon afterwards, we planted a 233-tree chestnut research orchard, and it was one of the first on state land in Massachusetts. A local Girl Scout troop helped us care for this orchard for many years. We watched these trees grow to the stage where they were intentionally challenged with chestnut blight, evaluated, then culled, with a handful of survivors left to cross-pollinate with each other. The nuts produced from this orchard has been used, have been used to um, move another generation of trees forward into the final step of the bat cross breeding program, which is the establishment of large seed production orchards. And that's the final step prior to reforestation. So for the next 15 years, we helped out with the hard physical light outdoor labor involved with orchard care across the state. We planted, weeded, watered, mowed, and helped establish new plots and replacements, etc. We also became board members of the state chapter, and in 2014, I was elected president. In addition to our orchard work and meetings, we also gave many Chestnut 101 presentations to schools, garden clubs, land trusts, and other environmental organizations. We really enjoyed our years doing all this work. As each year went by, we realized that we were really watching the progress of the Backcross Breeding Program. We also met lots of interesting people along the way and got to see some extraordinarily beautiful agricultural landscapes. And just as important, we always had friendly relationships with fellow board members. So it sounds like you had a really good re uh, uh, experience there. We Why did. did. It, was, it, uh, it, was, it was really good. <laughs> it does sound like it. So what happened? Why did you resign from uh, the organization? Well, you know, it was a really difficult decision because with the exception of the genetic engineering controversy, we really loved everything else about the Chestnut Foundation and the work we were doing. I mean, for years, whenever we brought up the questions about the genetically engineered American chestnut tree, we were told, don't worry, because you still have to go through that dreaded regulatory gauntlet. Unfortunately, we have absolutely no confidence in Trump's regulatory agencies to do the right thing today. Um, the second reason is what's the rush? We were told when we began that it was to be a 100-year experiment, which began in 1983 with the foundation's inception. So if we're at year 37 now, what's the rush? We have, in fact, already produced some really healthy-looking chestnut trees. 
All that's needed for the success of the Bat Cross Breeding Program is patience. There's still 63 years left. Um, we love the idea of establishing um, conservation partnerships throughout the range, anchored by idealistic school staffs, land trusts, and other sympathetic forest and parks departments and local environmentalists. And we knew that these partnerships always work best when they're long range. And the, uh, the fourth reason is science is just now exploring forest ecology and beginning to understand its complexity. There are so many unknown risks in genetic engineering that seem extreme and unnecessary. We have confidence in the inevitable success of the bat cross breeding program if we are just patient and continue what we're doing now. We feel that the, introducing the risks connected with genetic engineering is completely unwarranted. That's why the precautionary principle was written. It's always better to be safe than sorry. Just because we can do it doesn't necessarily mean we have to do it. You mentioned cross-back uh, breeding and how that was a 100-year project and you're year 36 or 37 into it. Could you tell us how is that different uh, from genetic engineering? Well, classical back cross breeding is the time-honored method of plant breeding to select for a desired trait. It's well known that chestnut trees from around the world, American, Chinese, European, and Japanese, easily cross with each other. TACF's bat cross breeding program is trying to transfer blight-resistant genes from the Chinese chestnut tree into the blight-susceptible American chestnut tree. The safety of bat cross breeding has been demonstrated for many centuries around the world. After six generations of back crossing and intercrossing, these chestnut trees would end up being 93.75 American and 6.25% Chinese and 0% wheat. This method does not change the plant's DNA and can only be done within a species. A wheat gene would never be found in a naturally grown chestnut tree. Genetic engineering, on the other hand, is transferring a gene from one species, in this case wheat, into another separate species, the chestnut tree, which does alter the plant's DNA. There are those who say that uh, you uh, are anti-science since you do not support genetic engineering uh, as an approach. Um, you know, many of us who are taking a stand against the genetically engineered American tree have been called anti-science, which really is an unfair mischaracterization. We actually love science because when uncorrupted, it represents human curiosity at its finest. Unfortunately, we are equally aware of the terrors of science as well as its triumphs. One can admire the scientific advances that medical biotechnology represents and at the same time be appalled at the prospect of forest biotechnology on an industrial scale. The former represents curiosity coupled with compassion and saving lives. The latter is just greed emanating from giant corporations with horrible environmental legacies. This is the difference. There is a difference between junk science like that is that produced by tobacco corporations and pure science. So um, I've heard uh, you and others uh, mention a Trojan horse, how the iconic chestnut is being used as a Trojan horse for the advancement of uh, genetically engineered trees. Could you explain that concept a bit? Sure. Um, well, I mean, the Trojan horse is something that seems good and useful, but later turns out to be very harmful and destructive. In this case, I think that, A, we have no idea how the genetically engineered chestnut will perform down the road and what sort of changes it could make to forest ecology. B, the genetically engineered American chestnut may also be, be called a pilot program for making it easier for other trees to gain approval by the FDA, USDA, and EPA. 
They're presuming that it would gain wider public acceptance by opening up the door for large-scale GE tree plantations that would have hugely destructive effects on our forests. These enormous plantations will be managed for nothing more than profit maximization without any concern for the environment. And lastly, the money and technical support pouring in from huge forest biotech companies like Monsanto, Arbogen, and Duke Energy dwarf donations available to any other chapters. While most chapters are really running on a shoestring budget, the SUNY GE Chestnut Program has millions of dollars in donations from various corporations. And obviously, uh, you're very concerned with the chestnut, and you would like to see it thrive. What do you see as the future for the chestnut trees now? Well, no. Um, recently, we joined the American Chestnut Cooperators Foundation, um, and they are a small group without any corporate support or media advisors. And they began at about the same time as TACF. They're using the back crossing, the back crossing pure American chestnut survivors, and growing these out and making selections with some great success over the years. And these are 100% pure Americans and would be ideal trees to be used in forest reforestation efforts. Um, also, we found an increasing number of chestnut growers who are interested in agroforestry and permaculture. There's a growing number of organic chestnut growers in Vermont, Michigan, Missouri, California, New York, and Virginia, and other states offering hybrid chestnut seedlings, which are blight resistant and for sale at very reasonable costs. These trees provide delicious, nutritious, and easy to grow food, providing food security. Many of these smaller trees are also excellent for people wanting to plant chestnut trees in small backyards. In food forests and permaculture situations, chestnuts are the, generally the, one of the first trees to be planted. J. Russell Smith wrote Tree Crops, a Permanent Agriculture, and more recently, Mark Shepard wrote Restoration Agriculture. Both of these books and many more have been written about the benefits of tree crops today. Seems like you uh, are very concerned with the future of the chestnut. Uh, just don't uh, like the way things are going here with uh, genetic engineering. Right. Uh, there are many people concerned with that. Um, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to discuss that I haven't asked? Okay. Well, in our resignation, we did say, you know, if we had known on day one that genetically engineered trees were going to be part of the restoration efforts, we never would have joined. You know, if you look closely enough at the economic motives behind the predatory corporations supporting the New York chapter, you don't have to wait for the future to see what historians will say about this. Essentially, it's about legitimizing forest biotechnology for massive future profits rather than really trying to solve the problems caused by unregulated foreign trade. And this is not really a story that lends itself to superficial understanding. The technology is being touted as harmless, but that is that, but is actually quite deceptive. And I would just say no, just say no to fake forests. <laughs> That's our motto. So you're for the real forest, not not the fake. Not well, the fake. I was wondering, uh, De Dennis uh, is with you. Uh, yes. Dennis, would you like to say a few words? Uh, well, I agree with what Lois said, obviously. But the only thing I would add is that um, we're hopeful that the supporters of the Green New Deal will agree that when it comes to the future of our public forests, we'd rather see them managed by Mother Nature and not Monsanto. And our little slogan to each other is just say no to fake forests. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing today. Thank okay. you. Bye bye.